Hello and welcome back to another episode of And The Winner Is, where we take a trip down memory lane and revisit the winners of the Oscar for Best Picture. This time we're looking at the 2015 winner, Birdman, directed by Alejandro Inaratu, uh, and starring Michael Keaton, Naomi Watts, Emma Stone and Edward Norton. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Paul. Evening, mate. Evening. A bit cooler this time than the last time we recorded this show. Not half. <laughs> we were we were days away from the the heat wave. Well, hours away from the heat wave. Um, yeah. Even now, it's still not overly cool. I'm still sitting there with a fan going on me. But we're <laughs> we're a couple of weeks. Well, what? Just over a week, week or so um, yeah. since our our dreadful heat wave here in the UK. But yeah, it's still not quite cooled down enough. Not to record a podcast with a fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got mine on as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, so we're jumping into this one. I think this could be an interesting one to discuss. There's um, yeah. one that I saw at the cinema um, and I had <laughs> thoughts on it at the time. Um, so I'm interested in what you thought of it. Uh, as, as usual, just jumped to a few bits and pieces about the film. First up, the um, the box office. Um, the budget was 18 million. What, do you want to care about? Do you have a guess what the gross was? I'm not convinced it did overly well. Um, I'm going to say around 50 million. 103. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's the key thing when you release some Oscar time in it. Yeah. And that, that, sort of, that window between sort of November, December in the States and sort of January, February, yeah. March year. That's what, that's what it makes the money. Um, and this was one of those years when it was up against a lot of nominations. Um, in this case, it was American Sniper, which I haven't still haven't seen. Boyhood, which I still haven't seen. Grand Budapest Hotel, which I haven't seen. <laughs> the Imitation Game, Selma, Theory of Everything, Whiplash. I have seen all of those, thankfully. Uh, yeah. Um, it also won the um, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay and Cinematography. I can understand the latter because it, it, it did look incredible. Um, uh, that was that was that was uh, the main parts of the box office. Have you seen any of those other nominations, Paul? Um, I've definitely seen the imitation game. Um, yeah. In fact, I have got a copy of it signed oh, by cool. Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely, definitely seen that. Um, I've seen most of Whiplash. Yeah, um, I think I caught that on TV <laughs> um, around the time that it, you know, when it gets its like domestic TV premiere. Um, yeah. So I've seen definitely seen that. Um, the rest I don't think I've seen. Yeah, there's, there's one. I may have seen. I may have seen bits of Budapest Hotel. Yeah, it is on Disney Plus, that please. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So I also just jumped in with a couple of um, bits of trivia as well as we usually do, because um, the way that the, the film was made, it was it was rehearsed and shot in sequence, and the editing only took two weeks to do. Um, and in a similar vein, there are only 16 visible cuts in the entire film. I mean, that's a rarity in itself that you sheet the yeah. entire film in order. Um, and in this one, of course, they're really long cuts. And I was watching it because I, I was aware of that it's hard to see where they are. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's really well edited, actually. Uh, most of the movie was shot inside Broadway Street's James Theatre. Uh, Michael Keaton and the rest of the cast had to adapt to an Arthur's regular shooting style. Um, and that meant they were doing up to 15 pages of dialogue at a time while hitting choreographed marks. That's, that's almost, that is just intense. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, 
it's not, of course, the film's also got a couple of nice sort of sort of reflective bits. I mean, um, similar to how the film in its central character played by Keaton reflects on his early role as Batman. Um, Norton's character is very much a parody of his own reputation for being abrasive to work with. Uh, and yeah. I thought that came out well in the film, actually, with the two of them. Yeah, one of my notes is literally, it feels like Norton is playing himself. Mm. Yeah. Very uh, much so. And hyper version of himself as well. Isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, I mentioned about the shooting. It was shot in two months in total with those rehearsals, with the rehearsals. That's just incredible. Uh, and uh, I want to pull out as well that um, there's a press conference in Riggins' dressing room um, which mentioned he hadn't played Birdman since 1992. I did chuckle because, of course, that was the year that Batman Returns came out as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. Serious vibe about his career and throughout this. It's probably why he took the project on, I guess. Yeah, and, and as I said, his his career was, was nothing. At this mm. point, it, he had disappeared from from the mainstream. Obviously, Batman was was twenty years old, gone yeah. twenty, nearly thirty. In fact, was thirty by this point was the last time he played him. Um, and his all his characters were pretty much done by the nineties. Um, so he was sort of going into more into sort of sort of cameos and sort of porting roles. Yeah, and yeah, and then this kicked off a renaissance. Um, yeah, a little bit, yeah. We've seen him obviously, and and this is something I'll bring up because it becomes a bit multiversal um, <laughs> quite early on in this film. Um, obviously, the Spider-Man roles. Um, there's a few actors named here that he's then worked with on on comic mm. book movies, um, mm. and uh, then obviously he's he's now back playing Batman, and it looks like he'll probably be playing Beetlejuice again at some point in the in the near future. Yeah, so yeah. it's it really did kick off kind of a renaissance of his career. There was one other fact I did I did pick out talking about Batman, which I thought was interesting as well. That the Birdman suit that he um that he wears in the film was apparently made from a mannequin of his own own body from Batman in 89. <laughs> that fitted quite well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I suppose we'll uh, we'll we'll jump into the film now at this point, and my opening sort of gambit was just weird. That's, yeah, that's the word I wrote down. Yeah, I I I said I wasn't a fan of those cryptic credits at the start. Mm. I, it's just it has nothing really to do with the film. Yeah, it's, I think it's, the, the the words are actually from Raymond Carver's tombstone, apparently. Yeah, um, and yeah, the, the earliest real note I've got about the film is just the the smells like balls. Lines. <laughs> yeah. So that shows you how I felt about the opening to this film. Yeah. Well, one one other thing I, I picked up from the opening was the annoying music, uh, the drums yeah. throughout, which did my head in. It was interesting that it wasn't up for um for best score because apparently the Academy reckoned that it wasn't enough original music in it because there's a lot of classical pieces that are used to underpin the um story. Yeah. And it got awards for everything else, but not the Academy apparently. And I'm glad it didn't because the drums did my head in. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's something we've mentioned before one or two of the films we've seen, we've seen have been really well made but they've had scores that they weren't particularly keen on and, and you know, it just happens it's, um... I did like the sort of the um, the handheld camera work in that opening sequence though yeah see that was one of my problems with it ah, right. is that I felt there was too much and it was quite disorientating at yeah. times because um, it is pretty much throughout the whole film it's all 
steady cam work. But I, I, I did also chuckle about the sort of so the casual name checking of sort of um, of, of Marvel actors. <laughs> yeah, so they talk. They even talk about the Avengers. Yeah, RDJ. So you, meant, yeah, uh, you get you get them actually uh, mention the Avengers. He mentions yeah. Woody Harrelson, Fastbender, yeah. and then and RDJ. Yeah, <laughs> all in one scene. Yeah, I, I do like that scene. It, it just sets up the showbiz background of it. It's yeah. quite nice done. The, the, yeah. and, and the. The sort of bitterness. <laughs> it's a DC bitterness spilling out into his <laughs> Yeah, definitely. There was definitely a, a note of trying to avoid talking about DC in this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did have a scare when he said, I'd forgotten about the toupee that he's wearing. <laughs> yeah, literally, I put one of my early notes was nice wig for Keaton. Yeah, two pay away, I'd scribble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, and it's interesting. I, I did write down as well that it seemed a bit ahead of its time using mm. Skype as a yeah. as a way of communication yeah. because back then it was pretty much what we do here, and that mm. was pretty much what it was used for. Whereas now Skype and the likes of that, Zoom, and, and things like that, and the Microsoft Teams is is pretty much the norm. But when this film was made, what six, seven years ago, yeah, it wasn't a thing. Mm, no, very few no, people no, use that sort of thing. Lockdown, where it very much came to the fore, wasn't it? Sort of yeah, thing. yeah. Um, also, jotted down this point from that opening sequence and the the way that the film is shot on on um, digital as well. There's a very documentary feel to that opening sequence and all that, that name check and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, which I kind of forgot how, how the film opened, actually. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And, and as I said, I suppose we'll touch on a couple of the other actors because we have only spoken about Kate and so far. Um, yeah. I don't think you can ever go wrong with Emma Stone. I think no. she's good no matter what film she's in, oh, she no matter know. how bad it is. Um, obviously, I think both of us discovered her back in Zombieland. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that way back when she, I think she was still a teenager, and I suppose we we kind of discovered her before that, um, because she was in Drive, um, by Tim mm. Minear, the, the the old showrunner on on Angel that that featured Nathan Fillion, um, mm -hmm. and a few other quite famous people in that as well, um, yeah. as it as it's gone on. She's done like Easy A and stuff like that. She's been yeah. around and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course the other one, which is the first appearance of Ed Norton, which 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 led me to scribble down Bruce meets Bruce. Yeah, yeah, very much so, and and I think it probably was, um, kind of taking on that persona that we'd heard from Marvel, mm. um, as to why they let him go, um, yeah. as Bruce Banner, and and it very much plays up to that, writing his own scripts, mm. um, changing things when he wanted to, not not how other people wanted him to and and things like that. And it, it does very much play up to that that persona. Um, mm -hmm. And I, sp I suppose as well, we, we should talk about Naomi Watts as well. Yes. Uh, who really I didn't good. know was in it. I forgot um, she was in it, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's had a very strange career <laughs> because at times she has these massive, great big hits. Um. I remember back again talking about like Marvel stuff, um, The Impossible with Tom Holland and, and Ewan McGregor um, and then, was the first real thing I remembered. But then she's had absolute duds like that Princess 
Princess Diana film she did. The same thing, yeah. <laughs> um, so she's had a really up and down career, um, yeah. but she is very good most of the time. And she's really good in this, actually. Yeah. Yeah. She's playing this really sort of long suffering sort of estranged ex wife, isn't she? And, and yeah. And having to deal with a with a prat of a co star as well. Now has just come along after after the light yeah. fell on the old one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And that was a bit shocking. I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Because mm. they're just sitting there rehearsing, and then all of a sudden this, this light comes down and hits yeah. him on the head. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. But And it doesn't really touch on why it's happened. Yeah, just so, fortunate. Yeah. 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 There was something smart. It's what we see that we follow Norton's character back when he goes back to his costume, uh, costume yeah. room. Uh, the costumer for me was a dead ringer for Jeremy Bullock, the bloke that was playing him. Yeah. <laughs> I had to double yeah. check on the IMDb first that it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah, but and, uh, Emma Stone gets a, a proper eyeful, and it wouldn't mm. surprise me surprise me if Norton wasn't completely naked either, knowing him. Yeah. Uh, and also we get the first appearance of Andrea Risborough in the, uh, around this yeah. point as well. It's really good in this as well. She's another interesting actress that sort of pops up everywhere, I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and as well as Zach, Zach Galifianakis, I got it right this time. Yeah, I can actually, actually get my words out. He's not irritating in this yeah, at all. Yeah, he's not, because he's very understated in this, because he only mm. gets, it's not, not much more than a cameo. Yeah. Honestly, he, he kind of pops up every now and again yeah. throughout the film, but he never has any massive big scenes. Mm. Yeah. And uh, we also get our first appearance of the Birdman voice, and that was quite uh, when I went to see it disconcerting the first time. It was like his Batman voice to the max. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's weird because a lot of the promo work was done with kind of that shot of Birdman flying behind him, mm. and it's literally a two-minute scene. Yeah, even and I suppose we haven't said it. We we watched this on Disney Plus. Um, uh, well, I watched it on Amazon Prime. Oh, was it on Amazon Prime as yeah, well? Um, Prime, so yeah. yeah, it's on it's on Disney Plus as well, um, which is where I watched it. And even Disney Plus, the background picture is that shot. <coughs> ah, um, but for the most part, he's this disconnected voice mm. throughout the film, and it's a little bit strange. I, I'm the not a massive fan him, of it. It's very weird. Yeah, yeah, because you've go, you've gone through this whole film not seeing him. Yeah, and we get that scene later on. It's really weird when you see him by yeah. his, side by side with himself in the, yeah. in the costume. Yeah, very strange. Yeah, and in fact, the, the the one of the points I had about the film in general, this the stuff in his head, I suspect, could quite easily alienate a lot of people watching it. it Again, and I dead. yeah, and I will say that I could have watched this film without like the superpower stuff. Mm. He could have just been a failing actor. Yeah. And the film would have worked better for me, yeah. Than trying to yeah. shoehorn in like this extra thing in his head. Yeah, because there's that bit we, we talked about Zach's character. There's that bit later on where you see see him waving furniture about the room. Yeah, uh, which uh, is basically it's just to sort of represent him actually having a bit of a of a, of a breakdown and just throwing it about everywhere. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's done this sort of surreal, artistic way, and it, it's a little bit strange at times. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, like the, I love the stuff on stage. I think that's really clever. Mm. Like I could have taken a whole film with just watching them kind of rehearse and yeah. do the play and then have those little intersections of like their relationships 
which again I actually think works really well, especially Norton and Stone. I yeah. love the stuff between those two. I think that's great. And I'm not don't I'm not an Ed Norton fan in the slightest. No. Um, but I think that relationship works better than a lot of the other story. Mm. And and he just he's such a strange character. And it's the stuff, the stuff later on where he's got the bloody hard on on stage. Yeah. <laughs> especially yeah because there's a whole scene underneath the blanket where he's trying to have sex with her on stage and then he gets up on stage and it's that double take by Keaton when he sees what's going on and he's like Jesus he's got a hard on and then has to carry on the and I I thought that was really great that stuff on stage yeah yeah it was really interesting stuff And, and just sort of see it from the side of the stage kind of point of view and just starting out. Um, I'm jumping around you a little bit just because there are little extra thoughts floating from me. And like I said, I mean, mentioned the, um, the bits that go on his head. It was very clever, the one where, he, where Birdman is trying to convince him to make the fourth one. And then you get all the, um, the action sequence out in the street. Yeah. Which is effectively basically all taking place in his head when it, it turns out when he's in a taxi ride. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very strange that whole Mm. The, the, the whole thing of him flying around as well, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and kind of landing outside the theatre and mm. and, and no one even blinking yeah and yeah, it's like that's just it's jarring yeah and then you find out when, and then, then you see then the taxi driver appears ah that's what it is it's, it's yeah it's sort of, yeah it's very literal. but apparently that was based on an incident from his own life where he did to the bugger <laughs> off like paying a taxi <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a hard film to sort of break down it plot by plot, point by plot, point. Just, just yeah. because it's very nature. So I'm just sort of yeah, you know, bits I thought that, that were interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, yep. I've got a couple of bits that I'll, I'll I want to bring up. Yep. Um, start with the uh, the mispronunciation of Martin Scorsese. <laughs> that literally is it meant to be a joke or can he just not say it because I think probably a bit of both probably in the in the next part of the scene they get it right yeah another actor says the name right and it's like that that's a bit jarring as well um i didn't particularly like that and then the whole scene of him getting locked out of the theater yeah and walking around yeah, times square in his pants I did bring that up, but it, it was another stat I found that that was filmed just apparently just after midnight, so they could control the numbers a bit. Yeah, it had, to, it had to be really carefully edited to make it all work. Apparently, yeah, it, it's just very strange because surely you just keep banging on the door. Mm. You wouldn't just walk around into the one of the busiest places in the world, <laughs> even well, if like- you had a bit of a breakdown, you'd still look for the easy way in. Yeah, I do like the way that the sort of Riggins and use it sort of folds it into the play as a sort of get out. Yeah, um, that's very clever. As I said, I, uh, most of the stuff with the play is very well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right through the rehearsals and stuff like that, I, I really enjoy that stuff. And, and I could have taken a whole film of that with mm-hmm. the, the little personal conversations, like, as I said, between Stone and Norton, between um, Keaton and Risborough. I yeah. could have taken those interspersed throughout and shown that he kind of has lost his way mm. um, through that. 
it's just the weird superhero stuff that's thrown in that just kind of kills it dead for me. Yeah, and that's yeah, weird because we're massive superhero fans. Yeah, it's just it's it's the the, it's the two bits of the story kind of rub up against each other and kind of friction, yeah. don't they? Um, yeah, it's very very disjointed. Because uh, I mean, the, the story of the sort of failed actor or showbiz person is is, is an old trope and it's always done quite well. But they they threw in that sort of surreal element to this, and and it doesn't always quite work. I think that's that's the thing with it. Yeah. Uh, but, and the the last point I was I was going to bring up is that that final kind of section of it. Um, when he blows his own no- nose off with the yeah. gun. And it was signposted from the moment he takes that gun off the shelf. Well, it's kind of, when you watch the film back, it's signposted from the point, the scene earlier, where Norton tells him to sort out the gun problem. Yeah. Well, I, I'm thinking back over it, because he tells him about the red dot you can see on stage, doesn't he? So he's clearly yeah, I, gone out and bought a real one at some point. Yeah, and, and you've got that scene, obviously, when he comes in from walking around Times Square and he uses his hand. Yeah, as the gun as well, and it, yeah. it's there throughout um, yeah. that that scene is the problem. Mm. Um, so it, it pays off quite well, actually. Then that they yeah. this sort of surreal sort of new way of telling a story that even that bloody bitch of a critic gives him a good review from it. Yeah, um, and she was really nasty. Just again playing on that whole thing about about Broadway versus Hollywood, wasn't it? Which again is one of yeah. the themes of the film, isn't it? Is, yeah. Is that, that sort of way that Broadway tends to look down its nose a little bit at Hollywood actors coming to town. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, yeah, and then it has a really weird ending as well. Yes, again, yeah. It, well, it's it, it's a because again, it, it goes into that sort of that fantasy sort of element of him of him breaking free from Birdman and then his daughter looking up. Even though we know that the reality of the scene is that he's lying on the floor down below in pieces. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just it could have all been done without that that yeah, element it, to it. Yeah, it doesn't need the fantastical elements to tell the story, does it? I don't think no. that's, that's that's what we're getting at, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. So what else? We just think about your overall thoughts on the film, really, and maybe some scores. Yeah, yeah. For me, I just said it. It's a film that doesn't really know what it wants to be, um, mm. but feels like exactly what the Academy wants. Yes, bang on. Uh, as we've talked about, it's it's one of those. It's kind of an art house film with yeah. a very a very real, good cast. Real awards baiter, as they call them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it has. It's saved by some really solid moments, especially from uh, Emma Stone and Ed Norton. Um, mm. I love that that relationship throughout it, and it just loses its better moments for want of being weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd agree. But with yeah, that. Um, I. I honestly couldn't even put it as an average film just because of of that element that kind of ruins it. I could only mm. give it a sixty-one. Yeah, I, I was kind of expecting it to be a bit low, low on that front. I mean, my my score comes out a little bit higher than that. I think when I was looking back over what I scored it, I think I gave it sort of like three and a half at the time. Um, for me, it's the similar sort of issue. The performances are all top notch. Even even we said the likes of Zackles, Andrea Risborough, the support characters, looks amazing. That score does my head in, though. <laughs> the, the, the original yeah. score part. Um, the, the camel work, I, I thought was good. I said, I like that documentary feel of it. But again, for me, the, the fantasy element of it, it takes you out of the core story too much. Yeah. Um, and I, I could have happily just seen it as, as, a, as a washed out, down on his luck sort of actor trying to do it in, in Broadway. 
and definitely. and I kind of came out with this with a probably a better score than yourself, but only just sort of right maybe around 71, 72 percent. It's yeah. it's not what I want to revisit a third time particularly. <laughs> no, no, I I can safely say, and yeah, I I love Keaton, I love Stone, um, and as I said, Naomi Watts has been in some great films. It just yeah. wasn't enough to tip mm. it over the edge to be a good movie. Uh, it was just, and and we've watched some films where we've gone, I've given it a bad score because it was a hard watch. Yeah, this just wasn't a good watch. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and I, as you know, I was sort of I had my feelings, I, I very much the feelings that I revisited watching it again. That, that it's well crafted, but I find myself completely detached from it at times. It, yeah. It's not it's not what I would describe as a, a film that I find likable. No, no, I definitely can appreciate it. But from an entertainment or or a, an emotional point of view, it doesn't really do much for me on either count either count. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, well, I suppose at that point, we should have a look at what the next two are going to be. Over to yep, you. so I've got my, my system working back up and running this month. Um, so let's start off with the first one. So that is 1972. Go on, take a guess. No, it's The French Connection. Ah, I've been waiting for this one <laughs> for a while. Um, yeah, <coughs> so that's our first one for the month of August. Oh, that's, yeah, so that's... Uh... So let's run the second one. That is 1950. Marty? No, it's All the King's Men. Ah, yeah, that one I've seen popping around. It's a film I know very little about, nothing at all almost. Yeah. So uh, So there um, are two films for the, the month of August. Oh, cool. Excellent. Right, well, I suppose um, just to, just a reminder, people can find this on sort of Spotify, uh, Anchor. Oh, it cracks me up when I think of something else. Like that. <laughs> uh, and uh, at this this point, uh, wish you the bid you farewell, and I hope you'll join us again next month. Good night. <laughs>